I'm Alex Marlowe, editor-in-chief of Breitbart News and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Breaking the News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. First of all, a hearty thank you to all of you who have done your small part and told 10,000 friends and family members about the podcast. Uh, it is off to a roaring start, and it's all thanks to you and uh, giving me a chance and giving Breitbart News a chance to uh, try to give you the news and the analysis that you want and you deserve every day, and we're checking it out right now, and um, as I'm recording this i think we're in the top 50 on all podcasts there's hundreds of thousands if not a million of those on uh, itunes which is really cool uh, the number one or number two a politics podcast period top 10 news podcast i mean just amazing and uh, very very exciting that perhaps we've got some momentum behind us but it'll only sustain if you tell some folks about us which apparently you're doing which i appreciate very much and we've got a great show uh, lined up for you today but i will say at the outset that i do encourage you to go to series XM and get the SXM app or subscribe to the full show, get the full three hour show because there are some real highlights from today's broadcast, full three hour show that you're just not going to get from the truncated podcast, which is sort of a highlight reel, a director's cut of the live broadcast every morning, which is something that I, I do highly recommend because there's great, great content there, um, particularly my interview with Charlie Hurt that I did today on the live show uh, was so good and uh, it's somewhat heartbreaking. Can't play it on the podcast, but I can't play it all. So go get the full show on the SXM app. In today's monologue, I break down, of course, the results from the huge night, the red wave across the country. That was, I think, a pretty stern affirmation of the Let's Go Brandon agenda and a signal that the just point and call people racist slash build back better non-agenda of Joe Biden is not working at this point. I think it's kind of flamed out. I think it was a huge, huge loss for the hysterics who are race hucksters, for the people who are advancing the absurd anti-science trans narrative, the people who have the absurd lockdowns and mandates that are, I think, increasingly becoming unpopular in various corners of the country. And I think it is a very empowering day for voters who got engaged in their communities and fought the small and medium level battles uh, while we all wait and go to the polls for national races next year and beyond. So uh, very exciting. And I think that the victories for the Republicans are very big. And I'll play some inspiring speeches for you. You're not going to want to miss the speech from Winsome Sears, who happens to be a black woman and a Marine who will be the lieutenant governor of Virginia. And her story is unbelievable, but her speech is so moving. I admit, I, I got a little uh, uh, misty listening to it, and I think you will too, and we'll play that in just a few minutes. And then I will break some big news on the podcast, and on Breitbart.com, we've hired a, a big gun, uh, Emma Jo Morris, who is best known for the Hunter Biden laptop from Hell Scoops, who is a veteran political reporter, is going to come to Breitbart from the New York Post as a politics editor for us. And it's just going to be a big development in terms of Breitbart's ability to gather news, to report the news that you crave. And she's going to be leading up some big projects that you're not going to want to miss. That uh, Sadly, I can't get into those at this time, but I can say that uh, we've significantly beefed up our politics coverage and our politics team with this hire. This is A-plus level talent. And you'll get to know Emma Joe on the podcast as well today. Plus, we will feature our caller of the day, as we often do. And I thank you so much for downloading the Breitbart app, telling so many people about the show, about Breitbart.com. And without further delay, uh, let's break it down. Big night for Republicans across the country, a red wave. Here's the monologue. 
there is only one appropriate way to commence the conversation about what happened last night in America, and that is with a chant, and the chant goes a little something like this. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. The problem with starting the Let's Go, Brandon chant, it's never a good time to end it. Once it begins, you can't, you, you just can't back out of it. It was an unbelievable night for anyone with remotely conservative politics in America, and I could tell because I saw everyone with remotely conservative politics in America take personal uh, credit for what happened yesterday across the country. I, I've never seen so many uh, end zone dances as I've seen, uh, uh, I think, it, it, last night. I don't know, maybe even compared to when Trump won. I, there's just so much end zone dancing. I think it was even more than that that took place online and social media. But it was fun. It was, And I'm glad everyone having a good time. So little good news that comes out of the Brandon era of the United States, and yet we, we have it a ton. And I'll break down some of the key races, but some more good news is still possibly yet to come, but we'll start with the absolute bloodbath that was in Virginia. And the bloodbath quote is not just, um, uh, that, that that's not my language, that is the language of an alleged top Democrat operative who referred to it as a bloodbath of uh, what happened yesterday with a, a pretty clear and decisive victory. It appears, it appears um, for Glenn Youngkin. Uh, Terry McAuliffe hasn't exactly conceded, though. I think the writing's uh, on the wall there. As uh, the votes trickle in, almost all of the red counties are fully reported, and there's still a little bit of a uh, vote left to come. Um, Youngkin currently leading 51 to 48.3 percent with the current tally, and uh, again, as some people listen to the show, um, it, I think most of the vote will be in, but there's still 1% left to go. Obviously not enough to close the gap, with only 1% left to go. Uh, Fairfax County delayed their vote, which made it even, which is a, a, a stronghold for Democrats, and they had a counting issue, which a lot of people started to think about. Maybe there could be something nefarious that could go on. Uh, but ultimately, when the margin is uh, big enough, you can't cheat your way through it. And that's one of the lessons. It is when you're beyond the um, uh, ability for fraud to make the difference, then uh, good things can still happen. It's very interesting because there's been so much election integrity talk, including by me, over the last year and a half. Or so I wrote a lot about it in my book, Breaking the News, where I think there really were uh, legitimate concerns about the legitimacy of uh, not just the 2020 election, but really the way we conduct elections in our country that I think does not make America look good and is not, does not make our elections free and fair. Uh, but still, if, if, if there is a really decisive victory, it is very difficult to cheat enough to overcome that. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm not saying that we don't witness certain level of what I consider cheating every day from the big tech giants that are getting stronger, not weaker, unfortunately, as we have this conversation. It still is a, it should be very optimistic. It should be something that induces optimism for those of you who believe that our elections are broken without repair. I do believe they're broken. I do believe there's a lot more that needs to be done right now, right now, today, in terms of election integrity. But it is a sign that you still need, it is worth the effort because I think good things can happen. So Glenn Youngkin winning in Virginia over Terry McAuliffe. Um, we have a little audio. Let's play a little bit of, of some of Glenn Youngkin's uh, speech. Let's see if he can get into it right away. We do not have clips yet of it, but we've got the full victory speech. Let's hear it from the top and let's see what he does. 9A, go ahead, Paul. Thank you. Wow. 
amazing. Thank you all for waiting, waiting a few minutes longer than we thought to. Breakfast will be served shortly. Amazing. God. Well, first, let me thank Suzanne. Just, oh. said many, many times that the Lord knew what he was doing because I need her a lot more than she needs me. When I told you on that fateful Friday afternoon that a conviction had come over my heart to go serve Virginians, you did respond. You responded with grace. You, you responded with support. You responded with unconditional love. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank my beloved Commonwealth of Virginia. My fellow Virginians. We stand here this morning. <laughs> at this defining moment, a defining moment that, yes, started with two people on a walk, and a defining moment that is now millions of Virginians walking together. Walking together, sharing dreams and hopes, just like the ones that have always been planted on my own heart, dreams and hopes for Virginia that soars, a Virginia that never settles, a Virginia where the Virginia promise comes alive for everyone that calls this Virginia home. So um, we have the full clips at Breitbart.com, and we'll uh, highlight some more throughout the day, but obviously a very happy moment for Virginia and a great message. Obviously, a God-fearing man, loves his wife, loves his estate, and uh, is and so some new blood, which is great. And I do think that part of the problem with the McAuliffe campaign, as I've been breaking down, uh, the McAuliffe campaign was, I was thinking about, I can't think of a good move they made in terms of narratives, in terms of uh, a strategy, in terms of the candidate they put up, even Terry McAuliffe, uh, he should never have been governor again. He was governor. The way the state works is you have one term. It's a long term. You get one term. That's the way Virginia's operated. Um, and this caused some level of uh, of dismay within the party uh, that they didn't like the idea. Not everyone was on board with the idea of sending McAuliffe back. And why was he supposed to go back? He is part of a old guard in the Democrat Party that I guess um, still is running the party, Joe Biden's president. Um, but McAuliffe basically made the race about racism and Trump. He is a 
uh, old-timey white guy who sent his kids to private school and not to the public schools. So Glenn Youngkin made the race about freedom, about the children, about the promise of a state that once was, I think, less Washington, D.C. and more a part of actual America, even a part of the South. So pretty interesting. And his coalition was broad. And one example of how broad it was is uh, what happened down ticket on the race. The new lieutenant governor of Virginia is a woman named Winsome Sears, who is one of the most unbelievable backstories you could imagine. Born in Jamaica, a literal immigrant, grew up in the Bronx as a Marine, a gun-toting mom, and also happens to be a BIPOC, a woman of color. BIPOC is one of the, the, the trendy new woke phrases. So in a race where Virginians and Americans in general were called racist the entire way through, we now have the, the, a black woman as lieutenant governor. And we also have a Latino man as the attorney general, I believe, as well. So this is an amazing moment in Virginia, and it's an amazing moment for the state. Uh, first Latino Virginia Attorney General, I will butcher this man's name, but Jason Miaras, I believe is his name. So it's a full sweep of the top offices in Virginia for Republicans, a good sign. Um, but Winsome Sears stole the show, I think, at least in the Breitbart Virtual Newsroom yesterday. We get a little bit of her speech. Let's try it from the, from the top. Let's hear a little bit about uh, from her, 10A, Paul. I am at a loss for words for the first time in my life. You know, I love you too. I am here. Yes. Marine Corps. Motivated, dedicated. So I'm, I'm here because of you. I'm here because you voted for me. I'm here because you put your trust in me. That's the only reason I'm here. Thank you. Thank you. Got my speech. Want to introduce to you my husband, Terrence. He's another Marine. My daughter, Katja. And my, and my other daughter, Janelle. I'm telling you that what you are looking at is the American dream. The American dream. When my father came to this country, August 11th of 1963, he came at the height of the civil rights movement from Jamaica. 
He came and I said to him, but it was such a bad time for us. Why did you come? And he said, because America was where the jobs and the opportunities were. Wow. And he only came with a dollar seventy-five. One dollar and seventy-five cents. Took any job he could find, and he put himself through school, and started his American dream. And then, yes. And now he's comfortably retired. And then he came and got me when I was six years old. And when I stepped on that Pan Am Boeing 737 and landed at JFK, I landed in a new world. And so let me tell you this. I am not even first generation American. When I joined the Marine Corps, I was still a Jamaican. But this country had done so much for me, I was willing, willing to die for this country. USA! pause there and reluctantly I will pause there wow that's moving that is moving how can you add to that actual immigrant came in a tough time for this country particularly for black Americans and served as a marine worked her way up from the very bottom now she is a breaking barriers after a race where some of the oldest whitest people you could ever meet in your life people who run the Democrat Party in D.C. told all her and her supporters that they're all racist. And if they want school choice, they're racist. And if they want parents to be able to control their education and not the teachers union uh, led by a motherless white woman, Randy Weingarten, I'm sorry, a childless white woman, Randy Weingarten, um, then you're racist. Didn't work. Pretty big rejection. Uh, and most unbelievable shot, I would say, most unbelievable image was to see Joe Biden walk off the plane at Joint Base Andrews nearby while Glenn Youngkin was making his victory speech. Biden coming back from his absurd climate uh, jaunt where he took private planes to meet other people with private planes. Then a 85-car motorcade to meet with other globalists, not including China, not including Russia, not including Saudi Arabia, uh, to talk about the climate in the meantime, the Let's Go Brandon movement all went out to the polls and voted out his people. What a night. And um, there's more races that are worth bringing up. But I will note that who are the losers in Virginia? Democrat establishment. The Brandon administration. The trans agenda that covered up. You might recall that one of the key races or the key parts of the race was in Loudoun County, Virginia, where a boy dressed up as a girl and raped a girl in a girl's room and was covered up by the school by the school board. The school superintendent basically had a mea culpa, if you might recall. The boy, by the way, was switched to a different school and then got arrested soon after. So it was all a big cover-up, and it was covered up to advance a trans agenda. And then the parents who objected were treated like domestic terrorists by the Brandon administration. So, and I should note the connection that the law firm 
that is um, coming out against the victims. Well, it has a, a, a Terry McAuliffe's on the payroll. We should really do more on that in retrospective, but th- th- that is not a good thing. That McAuliffe, who's not an attorney, was on a on the payroll of one of the major law firms that was going after the rape victims. Not exactly a good look in Me Too. Um, the race hustlers pushing CRT, the Lincoln Project, who had that uh, tiki torch hate hoax, all of them rejected. Pretty exciting. Pretty pretty exciting. And then Biden, right as all it's all going down, walking off the plane from his Glasgow Climate Hypocrite Summit with 400-plus private jets was our count at Breitbart. Uh, But we're not done. The New Jersey governor race is actually too close to call. Um, And I'm also told, and this is too good to be true almost, that the Republicans are actually lawyered up in the state and they're prepared to have legitimate and and real-time challenges. All the type of stuff that we were begging and pleading for at Breitbart News ahead of the 2020 election, which did not seem to materialize until after the election itself. It does seem as though Republicans are lawyered up to challenge that election if there are legitimate challenges to be had. And and I think that was under a lot of people's radar, mine included. I I knew it wasn't a 0% chance out there because Murphy had been one of the worst governors during the pandemic. But that is just a, a stunning, stunning thing that's happening out in New Jersey. Let's go on. Let me uh, mention some other things that are worthwhile. In Minneapolis, for a police ballot question that was rejected by voters, well, you might recall Minneapolis is where Ilhan Omar, one of the top defund the police uh, uh, proponents in the country, is a representative, and they've rejected a defund the police measure in Minnesota. So it's another big race right there. So this is the place where Minneapolis, not and not to mention, not just Ilhan Omar. That's also not Ilhan Omar's backyard, but it's also George. What happened to George Floyd, which of course is horrible, but doesn't mean you abolish the police. The Republicans flipped a mayoral seat, also in New Hampshire, that has voted Democrat since 2005 in the city of Rochester. Another major upset there. The list goes on. There's another one that is I, uh, that we're chatting about this morning in the Breitbart virtual newsroom, which is in Seattle. The city attorney, it is. it appears at this time, going to be a runaway victory for a Republican, the city of Seattle, a lady named Ann Davison. I don't know if it's a partisan seat, but uh, she does happen to be a Republican. And what's been the issue? She's going up against someone who's a radical defund the police person. So law and order is uh, ruling the day here. And it seems as though the reaction from so many of the people on the left is simply to do exactly what they've been doing, which is announce that everyone who does not go along with them is some racist. And not to mention a racist, but they're Donald Trump and they're a racist. Here's Joy Reid. And I know Joy Reid should be taken with a grain of salt, but sometimes it is important to hear what the most uh, uncensored public leftist is really thinking. Let's, hear, let's play 4A, Mr. Ball. And the exit poll showed that, that, which was interesting, that the coronavirus or that the virus was a very As low not salience. importance to many yes, voters there. Was it was education, right. which is code for white parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. And I mean, unfortunately, race is just the most palpable tool in the toolkit. It used to be of the Democratic Party back right. in the day when they were Dixiecrats, and now of the Republican Party. It just is powerful. Just so it is that if you want to have say in your parents' education, you don't want to turn, I'm sorry, you want to have say in your kid's education 
you don't think your education, the education of your kids should be turned over entirely to the teachers union, that you should have more say. Um, Peter Schweitzer was pointing out to me that the school that, that Terry McAuliffe sent his kids to has over a dozen parent teacher organizations at the school. Because remember, Terry McAuliffe sent his kids to private school because he they were too good for the Virginia public schools, which maybe they were. I've never used the Virginia public schools. Maybe they're not very good in general. But the uh, Terry McAuliffe is, was too good for them, even though he's a big advocate on behalf of the teachers' unions that have ruined them. And his school, the parents interact with the teachers. So the parents started interacting with the teachers largely due to the coronavirus, um, and they saw that the school's been getting radicalized at a very quick rate. They, they were pushing the CRT, which uh, those of you who are new to Breitbart, uh, but Breitbart, we were probably the first major outlet to report on critical race theory almost a decade ago. In fact, almost exactly a decade ago. And now Joy Reid is saying that actually if you want to be involved in your kids' education, that basically just means you don't want them to constantly hear about how horrible racist America is. So that's it. Just continue to call people who just kick your butt racist. That is the strategy. Um, I will note one other thing that is very, very, very important, which is that um, there were reports across the country that polling precincts were illegally blocking maskless residents from voting. And this is one that needs to be explored. And again, this is a celebratory occasion for people who don't like the left-wing agenda, for people who think that maybe there's a coalition, an anti-woke coalition being built of pretty much sane Americans who don't think we should just continue to talk about how horrible America is and how racist we all are with all of our time. And perhaps there's other more pressing issues like, I don't know whether or not it's safe to send our, uh, to have our teenage girls use bathrooms at school. And whether or not we have a functioning a functional police system, those people who are not as focused on the left wing woke agenda might all be banding together and deciding to stop the chaos. That could be happening. But once we are done celebrating that, then we need to look at this potential scandalous effort of voter suppression that was taking place yesterday, and it seemed to got shut down relatively quick when a lot of complaints were flying. But this was across the country as well. It wasn't just Virginia, but Virginia was the most prominent but massive reports and i got a ton of them directly to me that people being told that if they weren't masked up they weren't allowed to vote and um that of course was not true that of course was absolute suppression and if this was done by republicans to democrats it would be called racism of course because we were told that you have to have all the access possible to vote unless of course you're not masked up properly even if you're double vaxxed even if you have natural immunity and this was the fake policy that was put into place apparently throughout much of the country. And again, I'm told that uh, it did get shut down to a degree. There was an effort that was made. The state director of election, I think in Virginia, ordered all precincts to uh, basically knock it off. But this was how the day began. And I do think there needs to be a massive investigation to see if there was a coordinated effort. Hey, and maybe the investigation yields that it was only a few places and it's not a big deal. I'm sure I'm missing some big races because it's just so many. But defund the police failing across the country, Republicans winning across the country, if not challenging uh, in races that they never should have been challenging. The Build Back Better agenda, I think, is going to have to hit the bricks for a while. And I think that the Democrats might decide that they should start focusing on building a broader coalition other than just the woke and the fearful and the wildly anti-Trump. Let's not forget that. Still, it's still a big motivating factor to them. But clearly, the woke agenda so long as they don't have a galvanizing figure to run against in Donald Trump is not sufficient for Democrats. And that's good news for America. 
very good news for America. In Buffalo, a mayor has declared a victory in a write-in campaign against a socialist. A write-in campaign. Mayor Byron Brown declared victory on Tuesday. Stunning write-in campaign over a socialist named India Walton, who beat him in the Democrat primary in June. So again, not a right-winger, but someone who won because the candidate that was nominated was just way too radical by the Democrats. Democrats put forward a literal socialist in their primary. And everyone in Buffalo said, nah, too much. Too much. Let's rein it back in. We'll be right back. All right. So I mentioned at the top, uh, Emma Jo Morris is one of the top reporters in the country, period. Um, she was the scoopster who broke the laptop from Hell Scoops and did such an amazing job on them that they were basically hard, impossible to refute. The left had to resort to absurd lying, calling them Russian disinformation. They were neither Russian nor disinformation, and her reporting stood up to incredible scrutiny. We get into her story. Uh, she's a big Andrew Breitbart fan, and she was drawn to conservative media. Um, where she worked for Sean Hannity and she worked at the Washington Free Beacon and then ended up being one of the top politics editors at the New York Post uh, before now coming to Breitbart, where she will start with us in a few days. Um, It's her last day at the Post today, and uh, she gets into her background uh, with us. We get to know her, and you'll get a sense right away this is someone who's clearly a deep thinker and someone who's fearless, which is all we want. It's, a, it's the least we can ask in our politics editors at Breitbart. Um, so you'll want to check this out and roll the interview. Emma Joe, thanks so much for joining me on Breitbart News Daily. Hey, Alex. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be joining the team. And this is just such a great way to start. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, big news. And we've got a big article up at Breitbart.com that everyone will be able to click on and read and share. And I encourage you to do so. And I know it's a bold move for you in your career. And we're so grateful um, that you're coming over. And there's so much big stuff in store. Uh, but I want to start a little bit uh, with tell us about the the uh, a, a day in the life uh, when you are you've got the laptop from hell. Uh, you get it. And you don't tell me exactly how you got it. But just unbelievable and then you've got this treasure trove of information that it could potentially change the world. And the only way it was not going to change the world was if you got censored by big tech. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, it just must have been an unbelievable th- just to be a human being in that position. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I disagree, actually, with that. I think when I was publishing this, I was thinking about. Obviously, I knew it would have a huge impact, and I disagree that it didn't have a huge impact because it was censored. In fact, I think that it had a bigger impact because it was censored. I mean, obviously, Uh. okay, so after the election, McLaughlin published a poll that said 36% of Biden voters weren't aware of the scandal, and 13% said that they would not have voted for Biden if they had known. Um, And that obviously would have changed the arc of history in one way because it would have made Donald Trump the president again. But I'm not a campaigner, you know, so that is one outcome that it could have had, and that would have been massive and fine. But my interest was exposing corruption, and it definitely achieved that goal because obviously, you know, the second we laid out exactly how we got it, we laid out exactly what the methods were of checking it, and we showed original documents, and those documents were tagged onto the article, which many people then downloaded and, and, you know, 
ran checks on. They were all legitimate. They were all authentic. And the world watched as um, as big tech and the Democratic Party and the security state and the big media got together and literally did all hands on deck campaign to censor a, another journalist. And so that was that definitely changed the world. And, you know, I think that that, you know, I wrote a little bit about this. In, in my personal capacity and like a reflection a year later of how I feel like it went. And I think that it really was the, the marker of the next turning point in American history of the tech generation and of the tech revolution and how the American people going forward have to grapple with this massive governing force that doesn't get included in the Constitution. And what do you do with that? So... Um, yeah, the, so you, you know what this reminds me of? Yeah, it reminds me of when Andrew Breitbart and James O'Keefe put out the acorn scoops over a decade ago, uh, where James came to Andrew and said, I think we're going to take out acorn. This is really big. And then Andrew said, yeah, sure. But we're also going to take out the media and we're going to prove mm-hmm. that that's going to be almost going to be bigger than the acorn taking out taking out acorn with people who are unfamiliar with the story. Um, we've got countless articles of Breitbart and uh, YouTube videos, et cetera. To catch up on, um, but it is exactly what happened with the laptop from Health Scoops. In a way, you're correct in that what it did to expose the tech establishment and the establishment media that was rooting so hard against you and was trying to go out of their way to make sure that you, uh, or do their best for you to fail in a way is bigger than the content of the laptop itself. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that was pretty hard to beat. I mean, we had Joe Biden taking 10% of deals with Chinese Communist Party. But <laughs> well, the big guy. Remarkably, took. actually, yes. And it, it's amazing now the difference, I think, between this time and the acorn time is they are so arrogant and yes. so out there. They're in your face. They think that this is heroic. Like Time Magazine, Time Magazine published in February a whole thing boasting about it. The secret history of the shadow campaign that, quote, saved the 2020 election. They call it election fortification, where they censor unfavorable news for Joe Biden under the guise of um, election integrity and curtailing misinformation. Yeah, and I have a whole section on this in my book, Breaking the News, where they literally say it's a conspiracy. They admit that it's a conspiracy. And you're so right about how brazen it is that they're out there saying, here is a conspiracy that got... Uh, the the crucial information that would have hurt the Bidens censored so that we could talk more about, I don't know, I guess, whatever, tr- Trump's coronavirus response, because that that's the only thing that mattered, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, just like every like one thing after the other. I mean, I'm sure that this was a huge wake up, like awakening experience for thousands of people where you had like Tony Bobulinski. You had all these people coming forward. Peter Schweitzer and Breitbart published a great follow-up to the story with um, Hunter's colleague who's in prison, who was feeling like he got slighted by Hunter and he was handing over emails. I mean, there was tons of follow-up confirming with people coming forward and with their faces and their names publicly. And uh, and it was just remarkable every day, it, zero airtime. It was ignored, you know, totally censored from online and uh that was remarkable. It was an amazing story. And I'm not even mad. I mean, obviously, the censorship's annoying and frustrating and yes. corrupt, but it exposed itself so well. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the um, and I think you're referring to the great Bevan Cooney, one of the great names yes. uh, to, to 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 appear exactly. on the Breitbart pages. The um, the it is something that I experience a lot whenever there's an attack on me or attack on Breitbart. I'm always outraged uh, originally because of the unfairness of them. They're always unfair. There's almost never a fair one. So rarely, uh, it, but then after a while, when it sets in, you do feel strong for it. It's almost like you know lifting weights, where it's painful while you're going through it, but then when you're done, you feel good and and that is part of this because it just shows how much fear they had of the information you were reporting because to the point where they had to humiliate themselves it might have in the long run helped them win this last election but it did i think once and for all it is an example that will be cited for eternity that this is what tech was willing to do to make sure the democrats win they're literally they're able to refer to stories that are so buttoned up and so well put together as Russian disinformation that they were willing to go to that level is something you can't take back. There's no apology for that. There's no commission that could investigate that and come up with some conclusion where there's some sort of rationale. It was pure, flat-out cheating. Yeah, and we anticipated that happening, and it was one of the main things that, I mean, I was in possession of the laptop or yeah, I was in possession of the laptop and its materials for a couple weeks before we published, and I was going and I was getting pressure and pressure. And I, I'm happy that I was firm in saying I will not publish one word of this until I am 100% sure that it is bulletproof. Because I knew that that was going to happen, obviously, and I knew that it was going to be radioactive, obviously. And I had like that was the whole thing: is make them look as insane as possible when they try to censor this. And I mean, it was even more than I could have imagined. And it was totally clean, totally buttoned up. And uh, it was amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm proud of the way that they reacted because it, it vindicated sure. us. Absolutely, it did, and 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 more because again, it, it it implicated, it broadened the target. The target wasn't just Hunter and the big guy, aka President Joe, but it was. It turned out to be the the tech establishment too, which was almost. Uh, more profound, I think, as time goes on. Emma Jo Morris is with me. She is the new politics editor for Breitbart News, uh, starting in a few days and uh, known for the laptop from Hell Scoops. And uh, she's going to be leading some initiatives that will be can't miss stuff at Breitbart.com. A, a big addition for us and very exciting for me personally, um, because it is uh, always, I think, very exciting when you're attracting the top-notch talent that Emma Jo is, and she'll be contributing to the show from time to time as well. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the the where you think the uh, narrative is on Hunter, because you are, along with Peter Schweitzer, probably the top Hunter Biden reporter there is. It, it is something that I feel like my opinion of Hunter has evolved over the last year, because I used to just have the sort of if you're thinking about the galaxy brain meme uh, online i usually have the normie brain meme which is hunter is just you know the sort of deadbeat kid with who's addicted to crack maybe he's a little sad in a way but that was kind of my take uh, now i'm starting to think of him as almost a pioneer because he has been so brazen and how he's exploited loopholes in the system he's been so fearless the way he's done it and he's been not just protected he has been a uh, showered with riches by people all around the world, uh, be it as Simon and Schuster, which is my publisher as well, 
uh, where he was paid a fortune to for a book that no one read. Um, the fact that the media has protected him, the tech establishment protecting him, and then now he's selling this crappy art that he's getting five, six, seven. Who knows how big these sums are that he's getting? And he just seems like he's just surfing, and he's got brand new teeth that look good, and he just seems like he's living the dream. And we're all just sitting there going, "How does this guy pull it off?" I don't know about you. I feel like most people will resonate with this. I knew people growing up who, no matter how much trouble they were about to get in or no matter how, like, what they were doing, they always found a way to kind of, like, skate. And I think Hunter is just one of those people. He just has, and I mean, obviously it helps that his father is the most powerful Democrat in the country and always has been up there, um, which, again, like, obviously that's, <laughs> that's helpful. I think if he's, his name is Donald Trump Jr., and I know this is so but it's just so true that he would have gotten mailed years ago um, with Peter Schweitzer's first book. But yeah, like he's just one of those people that somehow manages to land on his feet and, and stick the landing. Yeah. And like you said, yeah, I mean, book and book tour and, you know, rolled out the red carpet by ABC News and all the all the big guns and they're all having him on and glorifying him and praising him and even asking him about the laptop. And he says, it certainly could be mine, but, it, but I don't know. <laughs> you know, and no follow-up. He's just like, I don't oh. remember if I put my pants on in those days. And and, 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 and what was that great um, interview we did then, where they asked him, I mean, do you think that you would have got this treatment if you weren't a Biden? And he's like, well, I don't think I would have got a lot of stuff in my life if I wasn't a Biden. He just owns it. He just goes right out there. Oh, totally. And just you have... Totally. It's just there's something very in in a way I don't want to say admirable. There's something admirable about Hunter Biden, but there is something there is a authenticity to his grift that is refreshing in the sense that you know the big guy is acting like he's a saint, and we all know that he's part of a corrupt system that's kept him in power for fifty years. Um, but Hunter just out there is going, yeah, I'm corrupt. I'm a Biden. Like, who cares? Like, it's the, it's the, come on. It's a, we all know the game and you guys are all playing it right now with the conversations you're having. Um, but, but, oh, but totally. let's turn, I think that's yeah, part go ahead. Of why he's able to get away with this stuff because he is like, yeah, I'm, I'm like a, a crack addicted deadbeat that like finds a grift and he admits that like openly on TV Yeah, and that exactly. helps make him really hard to get. So let's turn to the tech uh, the establishment because they, uh, again, were every bit as horrible as Hunter Biden and all this, and um, if not more so. And so what are your thoughts on the evolving scope when it comes to the tech platforms? Um, we had another story yesterday that came out from the Washington Post where they had a study that was funded by a bunch of far left wacko activists, a group called CCDH, which is funded by the left wing establishment overseas, many of them not even Americans. Um, and their latest kick is to try to get Breitbart um, censored for our alleged climate denial. They couldn't cite any examples of us doing climate denial. They just announced we were the worst. And uh, then they decided a study that they that they didn't let us read and they asked us to comment on it. But then they wouldn't let us see the study. Um, and then now we're learning, I think it's the Wall Street Journal that's working on a story at the moment, that uh, Google is planning to censor advertisements um, on stories that are climate denier stories. It, it's a, the tech elite cannot stop trying to shut down anything that veers from the status quo. Uh, do you feel like, as I do, the landscape is worse now than it was when your laptop from Hell Scoops came out? Um. It's hard to tell because so, so much of this is so secretive. 
I mean, they're going to, you know, attack and demonetize people, and and they're they've been doing that, and they are doing that. It's hard to know because you don't know what the algorithms look like or, or who they're hiring or what's going on. Really, it's so opaque. But I just get really worried about this in general because the average age of a person in Congress, and I don't say this in a derogatory way, please let me say that, the average age of the person in Congress is like 60 years old. And that doesn't bode well for an issue that is relatively new and that younger people tend to have more of a grasp on just because they interact with it more. And, you know, when you're watching like the Jack Dorsey hearings and even more recently, they're asking questions that are like, how does Facebook make money? And it's just, you don't get the sense that anybody is at all have, getting their arms around this issue. And then you don't get the sense that there is any solution that's going to come from these people. And so it just drags on and election after election goes by. And it doesn't even matter. I mean, day after day goes by where people are getting this really warped idea of the world because the information that they interact with is so curated by radicals. And, and that, so I don't know, like, let's say the change from one year ago to now, but it just worries me in general, because every day that this happens, like, you know, the person that controls the language is controlling reality. And that's what these tech companies have control over. And it's, uh, it's really toxic. That's right. They control reality in the sense that if you don't, whoever controls the information controls hearts and minds it's just the facts and the fact that this is even debated and it is debated i was confronted on this i was in an interview with a um one of the editors of reason uh, where he took issue with me suggesting that google can change votes by changing the information that people can read and i can't believe that this is something that's that's disputed uh, where do people get their ideas of course it's from what you read and what uh, aside from also what you listen to and watch on TV and what you talk about with your family members, I mean, th that's basically where people get their, their worldview. And if we're consolidating the class of people who curate the news into this group of left-wing radicals, then uh, clearly the country is going to shift in that direction. And I, how could this even be denied? Yeah, I don't think I don't think that's controversial or like is even how could you do I mean, how could you debate that? There's it's obvious that is that's why, you know dictators throughout history have burned books that that's obviously true let me reintroduce emma joe morris who's new politics editor for breitbart news starting in a few days uh coming to us from the new york post and uh emma share with us a little bit about you some other stories because you've worked on some other big stories and it's very easy to just kind of hear a laptop from hell and uh, stop there uh, but it is you've also had a really great uh, robust record of covering some really challenging stories that I think the uh, will resonate with the audience. Uh, tell us about some of your work, some of your international reporting, which has been really quite uh, spectacular. Yeah, so I mean, I I have been able to find and and secure interviews with some of some of the most amazing people I've ever seen. Yeonmi Park was the first one, who is a North Korean dissident. Now she's pretty high profile. Actually, Fox has picked her up, and I think she's been on PragerU, too. Uh, but she's amazing. Walked across the Gobi Desert um, to get to freedom from North Korea when she was a teenager, was sold into sex slavery, um, and, and lived a horror that nobody could even imagine. And, that, and her story is is real and a testament to life inside North Korea. And now she's a high profile dissident. She has information um, from inside the regime that people have reached out to her with since she, her profile has risen. And uh, we were 
we did a three-part um, Ebony Bowden was the reporter on that story. We did a three-part series on her story. Um, she talked about life in North Korea. She talked about China's enabling of the regime in North Korea and uh, and got uh, really well-received, um, and we published her first at The Post. And then we also did a, a story. I found a dissident from Xinjiang, the Uyghur concentration camp site, and he is a political exile in China. He has been speaking out about this issue for a number of years and hadn't really been picked up. I came across him very, like, randomly online somewhere. I don't even remember. But um, anyway, he, too, remarkable. His whole family is in concentration camps. He's making an unthinkable sacrifice to speak out about this issue, um, which he obviously believes he can play a role in garnering public attention to it, which obviously with China's control over our economy and with China's influence in our political sphere, it's very difficult to get any traction on this. But he, yeah, he spoke out entire families in concentration camps. His young daughter thinks he's a traitor, has been brainwashed by the CCP. Wow. Um, again, these stories are just stuff that you can't find from think tanks and that you can't find from satellite imagery. You know, this is real and personal. And I think that these issues, especially because of the secrecy they're shrouded in by official channels, getting people from inside is really just the best way to expose them. And so I got those interviews, which I'm very proud of. Um, in fact, just as proud of those as I am of the laptop. And I think they deserve as much, as much, uh, you know, uh, conversation because you want to talk about government secrecy and, uh, and, uh, total control that is. Yeah. And, and, really and this is um, where, yeah, and this is exactly the, the connective tissue, which is that this is the extreme examples in the world um, there's one or two others like it, but North Korea and China have a press that is arms of the regimes, the respective regimes. So to, to say it's not free is an understatement. And that's why these stories are so important, because there's probably millions of them. And we don't get those stories because uh, not only is do they have closed press, but American corporate media establishment doesn't want to hold them accountable for that, particularly in the case of China, because it could potentially hurt their business model. And that is a very dark yeah. fact, but is a fact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so that's it. So when you can have a, a platform and the New York Post has been extremely supportive in this passion of mine of getting, you know, using the platform to, to really highlight the things that the corporate world, which controls our media and our pop culture, won't touch. And that is something that I'm extremely proud of. And those stories have been really powerful. I think about them all the time and in my work, and they really inspire me to, to walk towards fire. Speaking of, I was the thing I'm most excited to bring up with you is that you're also a Andrew Breitbart fan. And uh, any excuse to talk about Andrew on the show is always worthwhile. And I think that's part of what drew you to Breitbart um, is Andrew himself. And I love that being Andrew's first employee, something that I will be proud of forever. Um, uh, tell me about what you learned from Andrew watching him from afar and uh, how he inspired you in your career. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been an Andrew fan since I was in university. I, I grew up in Canada. Uh, I'm from Montreal, and, and I was always interested in U.S. politics, but I never really felt, this is the thing that I really connected with Andrew on, I never really felt in the conservative world or in the establishment world. I always felt, um, disjointed from that and I had worked in it I mean my first 
job in Washington. Well, my first job in Washington was at the Washington Free Beacon, which was a great place to work. I had a lot of fun there, and they taught me so much. And then I went to CPAC, but that was really where I got immersed for the first time personally into like conservative land. And I had a great time there and I made great friends. I was doing their social media. And, uh, but I really also felt like I couldn't fully connect with that and that there was um, an air of a bit of maybe elitism or being like in and in a certain way, you know, to check boxes. And I didn't feel that that worked for me. And I started getting interested in kind of like alternative conservative media. And Andrew was the first place I went and Breitbart. Breitbart really, the, that attitude and this kind of like punk kind of um, not here or there ideology of like, we aren't, we don't have allegiance to the Republican party. We don't have allegiance to conservative Inc. We're interested in conservative issues that speak to regular people. That was something that I immediately connected with and inspired me um, for, for the rest of my career and made me feel like I could go into more establishment conservative spaces, but still have um, my place and not feel like I was totally off base um, or that, that I was crazy because I knew that from what Andrew was talking about and from his, his books and from Breitbart News that, that there was a place for me and that I, I wasn't totally off. I love that. And that's probably the thing that I strive for most is to reach people uh, at Breitbart. And what we strive for most is to reach people who know that they're not crazy, but also know that all the information they're being fed can't possibly be accurate. So where is the rest of the information? That's what we try to provide every day. And clearly we're doing a decent job. Uh, Emma Jo Morris, again, at Emma Jo NYC on Twitter. Uh, she'll be starting up with us as politics editor at Breitbart in the next five days or so, I think is the plan. Uh, Emma, the last one for today, uh, your last assignment, I'm told, uh, at the New York Post is to help guide the Virginia coverage and the election fallout. Um, your kind of quick 60-second take on what we saw yesterday. I mean, first of all, what it was, I think, a, for the first real indication, I mean, Virginia is a blue state. It's a blue state. Their legislature is Democratic. They are the suburb of the Beltway. And uh, I think whatever you want to say about what the Democrats were doing, I mean, I think people got a good taste of what Democratic leadership looks like. And, and it was a total repudiation of that. I, although I must say my favorite part of last night, I should say, was the reaction by MSNBC. I turned on Joy Reid at around uh, 9 o'clock. It was amazing. She was totally short-circuiting on air. I mean, they all were. It was Nicole <laughs> Wallace, Joy Reid, Chris Hayes, and Rachel Maddow. They had the all-star team on. And it, there's nothing better. It was almost 2016 election night level insanity. Oh, my gosh. Down. I can't believe you bring um, you that know, up because point, that is my one regret about 2016 is that I was so busy on election night. I didn't get to do the schadenfreude uh, watching of MSNBC as I would have done. <laughs> If I was just a spectator, I, it must have been sweet. I didn't watch last night. It was so foolish of me. Oh, my God. No, huge mistake. I, I switched over the second it was announced that Youngkin was going to be it. And it did not disappoint. I mean, Joy Reid, first of all, just flat out called Virginia voters all white supremacists. Yeah. No indication of what the demographics were of who voted. But they're white supremacists. Despite the fact that they also elected Winston Sears, still white supremacists. And um, there's no such thing as CRT, but also um, there is a large portion of Democrats that can't accept that the founding fathers are racist. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it was just delicious. 
<laughs> it's so good and it's so fun and and um a, a great swan song for you at the post and we're, we will welcome you at breitbart and we'll have you back soon with some original reporting i'm sure for breitbart news uh emma joe morris i really appreciate the time and uh, congrats on the new gig so thank you so much i am thrilled thank you Yeah, can't get enough of that MSNBC schadenfreude. I'll tell you that while I was doing the interview, uh, my colleague on SiriusXM, Andrew Wilkow, uh, was telling me that he said we didn't need to watch MSNBC because we were getting the schadenfreude in the studio, the fishbowl at SiriusXM in Manhattan where we were broadcasting live on Election Day 2016. And it is true. There was this sort of parade of lefties who were coming in and uh, scolding us. And one of them was pounding on the glass of the studio. And they were very mad about Trump winning because uh, Patriot was uh, at the forefront, I think, of bringing the pro-Trump narrative to the public. And that was sweet stuff. And again, those days you wish you could relive. You wish you could just bottle it up. All right. As always, we like to have a caller of the day. And today our caller of the day is Bobby in Virginia, fitting to go to Virginia for the caller of the day, where he breaks down how he showed the race, particularly the races in Virginia, show that the Democrats playing the race card has failed. And looking at the Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears and her inspiring story, a immigrant who is a gun-toting Marine and now uh, rising to the highest level, a woman of color has risen in Virginia politics, is so exciting and is a pretty clear rebuke of the narrative that all of the voters who supported Youngkin and who support Republicans and who support Trump at this time are all racist. Uh, she's living proof that's not the case. Caller Bobby breaks it down. Let's hear it. Hey, you know, Van Jones, I, I know you made the comment that he, he's smart, but, you know, he only comes across as smart because in that echo chamber he's in, nobody challenges him. I mean, nobody nobody thought to point out the fact that uh, all of these white nationalists in Virginia voted for a black immigrant from Jamaica for a lieutenant governor and a Cuban immigrant for attorney general. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's so absurd. I can guarantee you Van Jones doesn't believe what he's saying. He's doing pro wrestling. He's jumping off the third rope with, with a folding chair and he's hitting someone over the head with it. So he thinks this is what needs to be said to get his idea to advance his ideas and he knows he's not being challenged and as i said he knows what he's saying is not even real but it is and of course it's illogical but it it does kind of make you sit up and think and i think that's that's the point it's the talking points i mean juan williams was spewing the same stuff on fox last night their whole agenda now is going to be denying that crt is in school you know in, in schools um you know the it was it was white nationalists that voted for Yunkin. Yeah, it's just it's the same old playbook. They're not going to change. They, it, the, the election, this election should have shown them that they need to change course, but they're not going to. Um, you know, and, and, and I wanted to get this point in regarding Trump. Matt Walsh put out a tweet last night about how the party needs to move away from Trump because 20 percent the exit polls show that 20 percent of the electorate that voted for um, Yunkin were anti-Trump. Well, that means that 80 percent were. So is, is, the, is the Republican Party supposed to just discard the 80 percent because they want the 20 percent vote? That's, I mean, that's ignorant. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people are jumping to conclusions. Yeah, I think you're right to flag something on this, Bobby, because this is a big discussion on right-wing Twitter right now, which I don't participate in too much, but on election nights, kind of have to check it out. And I did catch some of these. And some of the tweets are uh, make compelling points and are worth considering. Um, but it is... You know, Trump was was he was on board with with Yunkin, and I think Yunkin did a really good job courting Trump's voters too. It's so, but I, I do give of most of the credit to Yunkin for running a pretty brilliant campaign. As I was touting the strength of his campaign the whole way through, um, but it is I don't think it's quite as simple as now now Republicans go away from Trump. However, the Trump personality did overwhelm a lot of the issues in 2020, not so much in 2016. In 2016, the whole trick of Trump's success, I think, uh, Bobby, was that the issues actually were a, a big deal, um, starting with Trump being such an, a, a contrast to the establishment and the media, but then immigration, um, you know, the, the, uh, the bad trade deals, open borders, um, rising China, all, all those issues that Trump focused on were unbelievably profound. And in 2020, it was really about Trump's personality and the way his uh, demeanor uh, either set us back or helped us with coronavirus. And, and that was not yeah, a winning the, strategy. The media does that, though. They knew they knew that they, they that, that they had, the discussion had to had to turn away from the accomplishments that was a losing proposition for them but you also got to throw in the fact that there's no way in hell that joe biden got 81 million votes there is i'm I'm, i you know i don't want to be you know some kind of conspiracy theorist or anything like that but i'm telling you there is no way in hell that man got 81 million legal votes i got american parts i got all right, that'll do it for today. Thanks again for telling 10,000 friends and family members about Breitbart News Daily, the new podcast, and Breitbart.com, and keeping us high up on the charts. Make sure to pick up a copy of Breaking the News. That helps as well. I appreciate that so much, and we'll talk to you tomorrow for another edition of the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. I won't apologize.